Hey everybody, happy Friday. It's Trevin McGee from Lawrence.com. I'm here with Eric Moline from SceneStealers.com. How are you, friend? I'm swell. Yeah, swell. Good. Uh, we're here today to talk about four movies. Um, we're going to talk about Young Adult, the uh, Jason Reitman, Charlie Theron movie, pinned yep. by Diablo Cody. We're going to talk uh, Take Shelter, a movie that Eric's got a few things to say about. I haven't seen it yet. Opening at Liberty Hall today. Opening at Liberty Hall today, starring Michael Shannon from Boardwalk Empire. And Jessica Chastain from everything. <laughs> and uh, then we're going to talk about Mission Impossible 4 and Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. Except we're going to talk about these in all a mixed up order and keep you guessing because we want you to tune in until the end of the podcast. Yeah, who knows? All right, well, we're going to start with the uh, movie that opens in Lawrence today, uh, Take Shelter. Yes. Uh, like I said, it stars Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain. Yes. And Eric, tell me everything else about it because... <laughs> as far as I've got. Because that's as far as you've got. Uh, it's written and directed by a guy named Jeff Nichols. Uh, I believe this is his third movie and second with Michael Shannon. Basically, uh, if you've seen the previews for this, this is uh, an independent film, but it's one of the best movies of the year. And um, what I like about it is it really ties into what's happening, uh, kind of what's in the air right now um, uh, in terms of you know just where the country is at. It's basically one big metaphor. Uh, the movie is essentially about this father uh, who um, lives uh, out in the rural uh, uh, countryside, and uh, he's 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 scared. He keeps having these visions of this horrible storm, this big storm that's coming, right? Mm -hmm. And so the whole movie is filled with this Metaphor. kind of yeah, this 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 dread <laughs> about um, you know protecting his family and 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 making sure that. Uh, as, as the head of the household, that he's doing everything he can to keep them safe. So is this like a twister level natural disaster? Oh my god! This or is, is this or is this like biblical? This is this is like. Um, have you seen that that movie, The Last Wave? Peter Weir's one of Peter Weir's first movies, oh, yeah. The Last Wave from yeah, the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like that, actually. I mean, uh, you could you could even say that it's a riff off that. Um, but there's a couple things that make this movie really special, besides the the whole idea of. Um, of just kind of, the, uh, the, the, there's a lot of apocalypse movies and things like mm -hmm. that coming out now. I think there's really something in the air that there's a major change coming in the world and we just don't know what it is. Add into that where the economy is at and, and where, um, you know, people are trying to keep their families together and, and, and uh, you know, alive, uh, basically. I think... I think um, I think you're confused. This isn't the Eric Moline bums us out about current yeah. podcast. That's yeah. actually next week. Oh, okay. That's, Sorry. That's, we're talking about movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, go ahead. no, so I'm just, culturally, this movie is, is about the here and now. And, and here's the great thing about it is uh, two things. Number one, Michael Shannon. Um, you've got an actor who has appeared. Uh, he was Oscar-nominated for Revolutionary Road for mm -hmm. playing the weird guy. Uh, people remember him from World Trade Center as the weird guy in The Runaways. Uh, right uh, now, people are remembering him for Boardwalk Empire. Right. In The Runaways, though, he was he was uh, the manager, the weird manager, Kim yeah. Fowley. He's always the weird guy, right? Yeah. And He's this, the weird guy in Boardwalk, too. There you go. In this movie, he's an everyman. And it's really, really interesting because... Uh, the, the the subtle characterization, I mean, head and shoulders above everybody else I've seen in any movie this year. This is my number one pick for best actor is really? Michael Shannon. And, and it's because uh, he embodies this person that we sympathize with, that we know is a decent person. Uh, we, we, we put ourselves into him. We're familiar with this kind of a person. But then on the outward shell, mm -hmm. we still have... 
Michael Shannon, and he is kind of a quote weird looking guy, kind of like yeah. Steve Buscemi. He's yeah. a little off, he's a little weird. Uh, and and so when he's having these visions of this storm, we're wondering the whole time. You know, this guy seems really normal, but he looks like Michael Shannon. Is he crazy? <laughs> So it's just it's just a perfect blend of casting and an actor who can handle uh, a really subtle characterization like this. There there's very few moments of actual emotional explosion. Yeah. When those moments come, they are all the more effective because he hasn't been Al Pacinoing it up the entire time. Right? I, I actually loved it. Reimagine great roles as if Al Pacino did them, done them over and over. Yeah, take shelter with Al. I don't do an Al Pacino impression, so I'm not even going to pretend. I don't either, but I just in my head. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. So the, that's one thing. Second thing about this movie that makes it great, uh, besides Jessica Chastain's performance, who yes, she's in everything this year, but I think this might be her strongest. She's, she's role. having a great year. Yeah, she's having a great. She's having year. a really good year. She won't get any attention for this movie, but uh, true so, life, she'll get. She'll be fine. She won't, and we'll talk about that on next week's award podcast. Yeah, good plug. Yeah. Real quick, while well, I've got you interrupted, though, what, what <laughs> I wanted, I'm always sensitive to and interested in how a movie handles a rural setting, mm-hmm. because I grew up in a rural setting, and so it's really easy to sort of, I love Hollywood's take, where it's like, it's a simple town, and there's that one diner that everyone eats at. No, this isn't like that, yeah. Now, no picket fences. The, the good guy he has a shuck of wheat in his teeth, and looks like he's about to reenact the Welcome to the Jungle music video. Yeah. Axl Rose yeah. goes to L.A. Yeah, it's... it's I no, it's like, not. That's actually... Come to think of when we were talking about Cedar Rapids forever ago, that was one of the things I really enjoyed about Cedar Rapids was mm-hmm. that it wasn't, you know... Aren't small-town people funny? You know what? Cedar Rapids has a lot more uh, hick stereotypes in it than this movie does. Good. These guys uh, work at an oil rig. Or not oh, a okay. rig, but, a, but a, um, they, they're Derek. drilling every yeah, day yeah, yeah. at a Derrick, yeah. Uh, they've got a boss. He's he he manages Michael Shannon manages a couple people. Oh, okay. So he's a mid level manager guy, but he's respected. Uh, his his friend, his best friend, tells him, "You have you have a great life, man. Like you know, you've just got a great wife. You've got a great kid. Their 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 daughter is deaf, oh. uh, and so um, but there's that's not even that doesn't. It's like part of the movie. Yeah, woven into the fabric of the film. It's not an issue. Right. It's just part of their family. Um, but, but what really, you know, stands out is that that stuff feels totally real and, 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 um, and fully realized. But when these visions start to happen and we're wondering whether they're visions or not, uh, and, and whether there is some sort of, you know, storm on the horizon, uh, the way that Nichols handles them (laughs) is so suspenseful. It's hard for me to say without giving away how he does it, but um, it's very creative. And for the amount of money that he uh, that this movie was made for, yeah. I would say that this is um, this is something for independent filmmakers to really take some lessons from. Um, the mounting dread is one thing, but then when there are actual effects scenes that happen, yeah. they're done in a very creative way, in a very intriguing way, that really brings it home and, and makes you feel like the character. You're absolutely put in his shoes yeah. for the entire film. Uh, The ending is something people are going to talk about for a long time. The movie does create a lot of problems for itself because it seems like it is going to have to explain whether these are real or not at the end. And that's just problematic because it's kind of a lose-lose situation either way. Um, But, man, I I will tell you this. I have not been this wrapped up in uh, a movie uh, feeling, you know, just... Oh, I'm just yeah. uneasy about what's going to happen as much as I have this year. This the, this movie's really masterfully put together and uh, anchored by the strongest performance of the year. 
step out. So here's the here's the sixty four thousand dollar question. Yes. Do you like it more than Tree of Life? No. There it is. <laughs> there it is. I, you know, to 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 contrast it because you know I haven't seen it. I really want to see it. I'm going to watch it tonight. Um, our friend, mutual friend, and uh, very cynical critic Trey Hawk, yes, uh, talked to me about it when I uh, saw Sherlock Holmes earlier this week, mm-hmm. and uh, he very much uh, had positive things to say about it. He, you know, so when Trey likes something, I mean, the, the last time I heard of Trey liking a movie, it was Drive. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's few and far between. But. He didn't like Martha, Marcy May Marlene, or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, I got it right. I got it right. Good job. Nice. Yeah, he didn't like that movie. I, I don't, I, I don't really bring up movies with him because it's, I don't have the time. Yeah. The time. <laughs> Trey, if you're listening, we love you. We, oh, no, I totally, I love Trey. I love uh, his take on things, but it, it immediately sparks debate, and a lot of the time there's just... We're we're always in transit when we see each other, so exactly. I can't take the ten minutes and say, eh, "Hang on a second. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, now that I mentioned Sherlock Holmes, let's go ahead and talk about Sherlock Holmes. That's a game a, of shadows. A game of shadows. Um, it is, you know, it's it's Guy Ritchie's follow up to the first Sherlock Holmes film, and um, it's pretty much it's it's more of what we've seen before, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, Guy Ritchie is a very showy director. Um, he always has been, but especially in recent years, um, very, very showy director wants you to know that he's working really hard to do some of this stuff. That is especially present in Sherlock Holmes. You got and your Robert Downey Jr. You got your Robert Downey Jr. You got your Jude Law, Numi Rapace from the Making version of a uh, Dragon Tattoo, English Dragon. language debut, mm-hmm. and uh, Jared Harris, who most people don't know except for he's on Mad Men and um, um, he's. Fringe. And fringe, and he's made a few little bit appearances here and there. Um, and he was cast as uh, Moriarty, and you know the classic Holmes villain. And we didn't see, we didn't actually get to see Moriarty in the last movie. We found out that you know he was the man pulling the strings. And so when they pull the way they pull the veil back in this, it's it's they a it's a literal reveal, um, but b it's very well done. Um, it's not suspenseful. It's not a build-up for who's Moriarty. We know who he is immediately. But as a character, Jared Harris really does a great job with um, the Moriarty character. But honestly, I feel like my biggest criticism, my biggest criticism of the entire movie is just that they um, really didn't do a very good job of fleshing out that character. Um, because he's he's... I didn't know the Sherlock Holmes movies were about character. That's interesting. Oh, you even bring that. No, I'm serious. I mean, isn't it just about like quick plotting and going from one action scene to the next and having some witty quips in between? Uh, you know, there's there's a, there's that. You know, it's a nice like breezy action movie. But when you make a villain this big, and it's you know they they basically the, if you think about it, the first movie is really just a prologue to build up this whole this whole thing. Um, you kind of have to have a significant character mm-hmm. behind that reveal and Harris does his best with what he's got does he not have enough screen time he has plenty he has the screen time's great his calculating nature is great here's the biggest problem his motivation mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense or, that's kind of <laughs> uh, what's the word that's that's par for the course with a lot of uh, uh, action movies these days unfortunately yeah I mean honestly I don't think it gives anything away his motivation is to make a bunch of money mm. and that's just kind of stupid mm. I don't know I I Moriarty is the kind of character where he's he's kind of an anarchist. He yeah. uses his his um, 
massive intellect. He's more devious. Yeah, he uses intellect. And, and his whole goal is to sort of destroy these societal institutions without being detected or while he's still inside said institution, you know, mm-hmm. so he can watch it come down. Um, and that doesn't happen here. Here it's he's sort of a mastermind that decides that he's going to make a bunch of money off of World War. And that's... Gotcha. That, I don't know, that, that just kind of rang hollow for me. Overall, though, I mean, you can expect more of the same. It's a, Robert Downey Jr. Is, is just as manic and uh, all over the place as he was in the first movie. The action sequences are, are the set pieces are significantly bigger than the last one, which I appreciated. I, I, like, I like it when you give Guy Ritchie a budget because he just kind of goes, goes nuts and goes bigger and bigger and bigger. And I enjoyed that. There's not really any other movies like that right now. I mean, we'll talk about Mission Impossible, but that's the only other action movie that's going to be out. Um, right now worth talking about and um on this on a similar level budget i don't i think i'm sure it might cost more but um overall you know it's it's a nice antidote to or counter programming or however you want to phrase it to oscar season oscar season (laughs) and i really appreciated it for that because right now it's just you know every year it's just death and sad and disaster and you know cancer and holocaust and well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. How does this compare to the first one? Because it's better than the first one. Okay, because I dislike the first one intensely. I think you like the second one. I don't think you'll love it. Honestly. I fell asleep during Sherlock Holmes. I did too. First and, time I and saw it. it. I mean, it was just there was nothing going on, and then it was this constant barrage where he kept hitting you in the face, and yeah. you can you can only do that for so long before I'm eventually going to be unconscious. Yeah, <laughs> and I actually fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. This you know sensory overload. Yeah, he, he kind of he toes that, but the movie has an even clip. There's not the pacing problems that there were present in the first one. Um, the motivation's clear. It's not overcomplicated. And it's that's just, good. It's just sort of a straight shot to the conclusion, and the conclusion, start- and the conclusion's satisfying because it there's not a lot of there's not a lot of intrigue. It's just kind of fun to watch these two geniuses play with each other back and forth. Um, and at, at its best moments, it does kind of feel like a chess game where they're putting pieces or characters in different places so that they can manipulate the outcome, and that that works really well. So is the plotting too clever for its own good? No. Okay, because this is a perfect segue into MI4. That's one of the things I want to talk about with that. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and jump into it then. I mean, if I were, real quick though, if I were going to give it, uh, if I were going to use your rock fist system, I would give it a, a, a I'd give it a minor rock fist up. Um, yeah, I'd give it a minor. It's it's better. It than... It sounds like a forgettable, enjoyable popcorn flick. Pretty much, you know, it's not something I would buy. It's something I would stop on if I was surfing HBOs or something, and it popped up. I'd, I'd watch it. It's fun, energetic. The, the combat and the action scenes are significantly improved. You know, they kind of, they, they drop the ball with a major character. And other than that, it's more what you've seen. So that's enough for a minor for me. Anyway, let's talk about Mission Impossible 4. I am very excited to talk about this for a couple of reasons. One, you don't want to talk about, and it's the Dark Knight presser that runs before it. I know that they didn't screen <laughs> it at any of, any of these screenings. Um, I may or may not be driving to Des Moines to see it this weekend. Um, Jesus, we'll see. I just I really want to see it, um, but I'm also that. That's the one thing that I'm really excited about. The other thing is that it's Brad Bird, director of The Incredibles and The Iron Giant, who you know primarily an animation director. Ratatouille. Who, Ratatouille. He was a consultant on The Simpsons uh, for years and years. This is his first live action movie. Yes. And he won out. Cruise picked him. Um, and and say what you will about Tom Cruise is a crazy person. I think he's one of the smartest. Uh, 
movie stars in Hollywood and that he surrounds himself with big talent and he mm-hmm. has a really good eye for talent. Uh, if you don't believe me, ask J.J. Abrams. And this which, is the first movie that's produced without Paula Wagner. Yeah. So Cruz and Abrams are the producers on yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And so with all that in place, you know, I, I really I, I had high hopes to see what Brad Bird did with it. The trailers I'm interested in, I, I really enjoyed Jeremy Renner and uh, Josh Holloway and some of the other cast members they've put in the, into the uh, film. So yeah, Sawyer's in this movie for about five minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> well, he does play an integral role to one character, though. So Is he like Simon Pegg's older brother? No, I'm not going to get into the plot. But, but yeah, no. But it, anyway, it, I've, I've jotted up. Now, you've actually seen it, so you... Tell me all about yeah, it. Yeah, I saw it last night, and I saw it in IMAX. Um, I would recommend uh, anybody who really wants to see this movie um, to go to IMAX. Go to, go, to, go to Kansas City and see it in IMAX, you know? Yeah. Um, this, this Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is the full yeah. title. This is uh, a, a movie. It's kind of like what you were talking about earlier with Sherlock Holmes with the moving the chess pieces around. Mm-hmm. Except this is more like Legos. Uh, so um, the nice thing about it, and you're not, plot- gonna go, you're not gonna go with checkers. You're gonna <laughs> yeah. You're not gonna stick with the game reference. Well, it's just not that strategic, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not one of those twisty, turny plots where uh, you know Mission Impossible. The, the series is kind of known for that, or at least especially the first one, where it's just yeah. one double crosses after another, and this person is revealed to do this, and everybody has their own little twist. There's one minor twist in this movie, mm-hmm. but you can kind of see it coming, and it makes sense once it happens, and it speaks to uh, Ethan Hunt's character. So it's an actual uh, emotional event. It's not just something that's there for the plot. Right. And I swear to God, if I see another action movie with twist upon twist upon con upon... It's like those those films did just get tiring after a while. Yeah. So kudos to Bird uh, and, and Cruz for keeping this movie in check. They realize what people want when they come to a Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for action sequences that feel real. We see so many CGI sequences these days where we just know uh, all these guys and immortals standing in front of all these green screens. Yeah. It, looks, it may look cool, but we don't feel like they're really in danger because we know it's not actually happening. Right. There's something about us. That we just, we're processing the that information knows. differently. Our, our, our mind processes it. Could it even be something as simple as a lighting cue? A yeah. shadow might not be right. And we might not be able to like, consciously understand it, but somewhere... Or we just know from the beginning because the backdrop is not realistic at all. Uh, In this movie, you've got Tom Cruise rappelling, running down the tallest building in the world and and jumping into a window. And the way it is filmed, it feels real and it is dangerous. And when he jumps through that window and barely makes the ledge, you know he's not going to fall. The the camera's moving with him and the the editing. I mean, this is some really, really great old school action sequence uh, material that's put together in this film. And, yeah. and it's filled with them. There's not just one. There's like three or four very uh, uh, high-tech, high uh, well-put-together scenes, old-fashioned in the way that um, you, you feel like you understand what's happening, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the Bourne Identity where uh, there's just a camera shaking yeah, the whole yeah. time. And, Is it, and I, I don't want to make the comparison unintentional. I do want to make it, but I don't want to unfairly make the comparison, but is it kind of like some of the action sequences in The Dark Knight, the way that Nolan kind of refused to use CG and and kept it in tight like that? Is it um, like that? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And I've heard things about the CGI that he used, and I've seen somebody, uh, this guy online who takes apart the action scene with the uh, the trucks and mm-hmm. shows how uh, the shots don't match up and you can't uh, understand the space and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to go into that. But what I, what I do want to say is that um, Brad Bird uh, and Tom Cruise and, and everybody involved, they've, they know what makes these movies great to watch by putting in an IMAX uh, on a big screen and having the sound cranked. Um, it's, it's a really fun experience. And, and for me, it's the perfect popcorn experience. Now, Mission Impossible 3 mm-hmm. uh, had a better story. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible 3 had a better villain. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. We're talking about uh, a villain in this movie who we rarely see. Um, we get his name and everything, but we just see his face a couple times. Um, and, and, and frankly, the, the final fight sequence with him is, is ridiculous and over the top because he's way too old to be fighting Tom Cruise. Oh, no. Is it Tom Hardy? No. Okay. It's yeah. nobody that you've ever heard of. But, um, or not Tom Hardy. Whatever. Tom Wilkinson. Anyway. No. So, but, but, but the thing is, is, is um, that, that I lost my train of thought. Uh, Mission Impossible 3 simply uh, had more emotional investment. There was mm-hmm. something in it. There was skin in the game for... Uh, Ethan Hunt because and it opens with a pretty you know tense dire, pretty tense dire moment right and so uh, I think the stakes were higher in that movie now the stakes are don't get any higher from a plot standpoint in this one because it's again them saving the world right it's the end of the world that they if they lose if right. this thing doesn't go wrong but essentially they're after one set of codes mm-hmm. after another you know oh let's get the codes and then they don't get the codes and something happens and <laughs> they don't now we gotta get these codes these right codes. and they they this briefcase and this and and that's fine because yeah. the action sequences are well put together and the, and the, it really it's definitely plotted always been is just, sure you know get the information point a to point b yeah the and they've got a, a lot of, of 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 good kind of callbacks of, of really ridiculous sequences where they're getting their missions and the places where they get them and, yeah uh, also, the face, the face thing, mm-hmm. you know, where they pull the faces off, mm-hmm. which which started in the first movie. Yeah. Um, there's less of that here, which yeah, is yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, and when they do use it, it sometimes it's actually for comedic effect, uh, which brings me into Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg is in this movie. Apparently, yeah, yeah. he was in the third one. He was in the third one. Yeah, but in this one, he's a major role. Uh, he's very funny. Uh, it's it's it reminded me of the light comic touch of Star Trek. Yeah. The J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot. Yeah. Um, this movie has that same light comic touch. It's really effective. Uh, and then you've got Jeremy Renner and Paula Patton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paula Patton was the teacher in uh, Precious. Oh, right. Yeah. And and everybody acquits themselves very well. This is just a solid action picture from beginning to end. And then they have a little coda at the end that kind of brings back some of the emotional ties from uh, the earlier films. And that feels nice, too. Overall, it almost feels like a reboot because it's been five years. Yeah. It almost feels like they're saying, hey, remember all these characters? Mm-hmm. Remember these, these situations? This is something you, you love, right, people? Mm-hmm. And I think people are going to agree. It's it's not as good as the third one, but it's a very strong uh, entry. And, and uh, for people that want uh, a popcorn action flick, I don't think you can get much better right now. Awesome. That's yeah. a really ringing endorsement. I definitely want to check it out. I already did. Now I really do. So, cool. Right, well, let's 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 now round it out with young, young adult <laughs> Diablo Cody. Yeah, let's let's end on this high note with young adult. We've got Diablo Cody reteaming with uh, Jason Reitman after uh, Juno. You know, and then she had her little misstep with uh, Jennifer's body that we won't talk about. I haven't seen that yet. I'm still looking forward to it. It's not very good. Okay, it could make a good insomniac movie theater entry. Actually, I'd like um, to see that. But yeah, so she's. Uh, 
they're back together, and um, we've got Charlize Theron, main character, goes back to her Minnesota town, um, hoping to win back the uh, her high school boyfriend Patrick Wilson, who's now happily married. And go the reason there. she does this is because she gets a Facebook message from Patrick Wilson's wife saying, "You know, congratulations, or, or we had our baby." So she gets a Facebook message saying, uh, you know, here's our newborn child. And that is what makes her say, you know, screw this. I'm going back to get my high school boom. My life sucks right now. I'm an alcoholic. I do a, a series of, of young adult vampire uh, books uh, and, and it's just been canceled and my life's in the toilet. I'm going to go to this small town in Minnesota from, from Minneapolis, right? The big city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to um, to rekindle this relationship and steal my old high school bow back because we were perfect for each other yeah. and, and he shouldn't have to settle for this mediocrity and and that is uh, her character Mavis uh, in a nutshell. What I really love about Mavis in this movie um, is the fact that she is completely oblivious to the way things really are. Yeah. Right? I mean, she knows she's in a funk and she knows that she's in a rut with her life. But she still knows that she is infinitely cooler and more attractive than anybody else that she went to high school with. Sure. Because in her mind, she still is in high school. It's, it's, the, the Young Adult is a great, great movie. This, this, this is the kind of uncomfortable comedy that, um, that, that will turn a lot of people off. Is however. it like British office uncomfortable? Yes. Oh, good. Yes, it is. That's my favorite kind of uncomfortable It's mine, comedy. too. It really, it really, and, 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 and because of the setting, mm-hmm. uh, it really speaks to me. Everybody in this movie is about my age. Mm-hmm. and um, You they, talked about the soundtrack last year. Yeah, they had, they had the, a great time in the early 90s when they were in college, mm-hmm. uh, and the soundtrack is full of, of the Lemonheads, Dinosaur Jr., Teenage Fan Club, all of these bands that um, you know that I listen to and, and still listen to, um, but they, but they play integral an integral part in building these characters. And yeah. there's all these really light uh, or not light um, uh, touches, but but details mm-hmm. right about these characters that I relate to. So yes, is this movie? Am I biased because this movie speaks to a very specific kind of, of person that I know well? Yes. Yeah. Um, Patton Oswalt. I was about to mention him. Yeah, Patton Oswalt uh, got a couple uh, supporting nominations and some various awards and stuff for uh, his role. He basically plays this guy who had the opposite experience in high school. Right. So if Mavis was the most popular girl in school, this guy got picked on because everybody thought he was gay. And he got the crap beat out of him. And now he walks with a limp. And he's like, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's brutal. This movie is brutal. And um, what happens is they kind of form this unlikely relationship because she's constantly going to the bar and he works at one. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, her intentions are so misguided in this film, but, but they're treated um, as, this, as this mission. It's, it's, it's just so nice to see a movie that is constantly surprising you and, and turning convention on its on its head. Right. Um, there's always a moment where uh, th- the character learns something about themselves. I mean, every movie builds to a climax where right. there's a, 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 a certain I, I'm change. I'm better now. Yeah. Right. Or they see, and, and, and honestly, the Patton Oswalt character exists to help Mavis realize the error of her ways. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into it, but what happens is way more complicated and, and more interesting than you've seen in 90% of the movies that follow this, this pattern. 
Um, the other thing is that Charlize Theron is, uh, I mean, we, we know she's talented. She's been in Monsters. She's been away for a really long time. Yeah. And and she she brings this character to life in a way that has so much truth in it, it's painful. Yeah. It's really painful. And her sense of comic timing, there's not one joke in this movie. Yeah, this movie it's just really funny. It's really, really funny, yeah. mostly because you're just laughing out loud and wondering, you know, how clueless is this person and how far does she have to go? Um, my favorite thing to talk about in this film is the end. And I can't do that right now because it's opening this weekend and I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah. But um, there's been a lot of talk over the end. And the end has alienated a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I love it with all of my heart. I think it's the best possible thing that they could have done for the movie. Alien Invasion? What's that? Yeah, Alien Invasion. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's, it's more than you realize. Like, you have to think about it for a while and think about the decisions that she's making and the things that are going through her head. Um, we've, we've gotten to know her very well by this point, so um, it, it, it may come as a surprise. And then it may also, to some people, seem like the movie just stopped. Ah. And I don't think that's the case. I think this is a perfect ending for this movie. Anyway, young adult... Uh, it's difficult. It's not glamorous. Um, it's full of of harsh truths, and and Charlize Theron is great. Is it your favorite comedy of the year? Um, yeah, yeah, it's my favorite comedy of the year. I think it was the highest. I'm, I'm still putting my list together, but yeah, it's the highest comedy on the list. I also really liked um, Bridesmaids. Carnage, Carnage. Uh, Bridesmaids, and um, God, what's the other one? There's another one. Oh, The Guard. The Guard was really, really great with Brennan Gleeson and yeah. Don Cheadle. Um, but no, Young Adult is painful, and, and I'm happy happy to endorse it. Uh, I, I, I really wasn't looking forward to it that much. Cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I yeah. really want to check that one out, too. And it's so. sloppy and kind of messy, too. Yeah. Which is nice from Jason Reitman, because um, after, after Up in the Air up was the very air slick. was very slick, yeah. yeah. Good. Well, it's good. I, I, I'm glad that he kind of found his feet again, because I know he put so much effort and time into up in the air and you could see he, he won that adapted screenplay yeah. award but uh, the other guy uh, uh, beat him up to the stage and yeah. he was not happy and really? I yeah and I actually I, like I don't want to whatever name drop or whatever but I got the interview right when he was touring for up in the air mm-hmm. and I asked him you know what it was like to adapt a screenplay with somebody he said actually that guy wrote an early version and we had to put him on the I, I wrote this thing from scratch so he was I, I rewrote it and at the Oscars he's the one that gets it and then that it. guy grabs it <laughs> grabs the award and then Reitman gets it and says some, he said something like oh I get to hold it now and then says yeah. this little thing music starts it's good to I'm, I'm glad that he's kind of going back to this and, and doing something with uh, Diablo Cody and this is this is a, a different script for her too, right? Is there a lot of that sort of lingo, swear to blog crap? No, the the there's not a lot of um the, of, of of interest. Not a Junoisms. Not a lot of slang and Junoisms and things like that. Yeah. But but she knows. You can feel that that Cody knows these characters very well. Yeah. And and well, that's she put it in Minnesota, and she said that you know she she was only in Minneapolis for two or three years, but that was like the point in her life where she had decided that she was going to be a writer and make mm-hmm. that her goal and all that. So, well, I think it's universal. Very, I don't I don't care what city she came from or what city she went to, but the idea of it is just um is really universal. And I think honestly, this is a tightrope. Yeah. Like there are moments in this movie where you think it's just going to go off the rails and somehow they rein it back in and and um I'm, hey, it's not for everybody, but I thought it was amazing. Well, great. 
All right, well, we're going to wrap there. We're going to stop, and uh, uh, everyone, go see Take Shelter. Go see Mission Impossible. If you feel like it, go see Sherlock, and it sounds like Young Adult is uh, a, a must-see. So a lot of good movies this week, and hopefully you can make it out to some of them. We'll be back next week. We're going to talk about award season. Award season. So we're gonna get the, we're gonna do that, and uh, otherwise have a good holiday. And see you later.